0: This is episode number 101 with Director of Talent Acquisition at Collective Eye, Yuri Sir. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Aramenko, Data Science Coach and Lifestyle Entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today, and now let's make the complex simple. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 101. Congratulations on starting this new second hundred of episodes on the SDS show. I'm super excited about this. And I decided to start off this new hundred with a very dynamic and energetic guest. Today we've got Yuri Sir on the show. And uh, Yuri is, uh, in the short, a headhunter. She's uh, the director of talent acquisition for Collective Eye, which is a data science company which uses artificial intelligence and predictive analytics to help their clients with things like sales, CRM, and creating a better customer Journey and what we talked about today with Yuri was the way she goes about finding candidates and recruiting uh, people and headhunting talent. So, I think this is going to be a very useful episode, very powerful episode to see the perspective of the other side, to see the perspective of a headhunter, how they think, how they uh, look for uh, the best people in the field, because that will allow you to better position yourself as um, the expert, as uh, the person that's most passionate about what they do and it'll hopefully help you expose yourself to these opportunities better. And even if you're not looking for an opportunity right now, I think these tips are going to be useful anyway because you never know what will come in the future, you never know where the world will take you. So it's always good to be on uh, the front foot and one step ahead of the game. And I can't wait for you to check out all of these tips. And without further ado, I bring to you Yuri Sir, Director of Talent Acquisition at Collective Eye. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Today, we've got a very exciting guest, Yuri Sir, with us. Yuri, welcome. How are you?
1: Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm doing fantastic.
0: That's awesome. And where are you calling from?
1: New York, New York.
0: New York, New York. How's how's the weather in New York, New York right now?
1: Transparently crappy, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going through its seasons now. But I'm sure it'll level out.
0: Yeah, you're soon. looking forward to the winter.
1: Mm, yes and no. I mean, of course, four seasons always, you know, gives us you know the range of like the pretty seasons changing and all the different ta- type of activities and so forth. But uh, you know, uh, you got to do what you got to do. I think summer is actually. Probably the favorite.
0: Season. Favorite, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've been to New York, but uh, only during summer, and um, it's it was surprisingly hot in in New York. I think it's because so much concrete. You just like feel the heat very strongly.
1: So, yes, yeah. and it traps all the humidity. Mm. So it's fun times here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for uh, getting in touch. Like the way we met was on LinkedIn, and this is. I really like LinkedIn. It's phenomenal because you can get, meet so many interesting people, and your background is definitely fascinating. So, tell us a bit about um, how how we connected and what what you do that you that made you uh, look for um, content in this space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, how I started off definitely been fortunate enough to connect with you is that I was actually sourcing for a instructor that could teach more on the AI deep learning side of the house in Mm -hmm. the world of data. And you had come up, um, of course, through all the coursework programs and stuff like that, that you have visible, not just only on LinkedIn, but just in the online space. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited to do that. And of course, that's how I found you. Um, What I currently do is I'm the director of talent at Collective Eye. Mm -hmm. It's an AI company in the B2B space. And what we do is we capture data around B2B sales activities. And so we use our AI and predictive analytics by merging client CRM and other relevant sources of data into our network that converts raw inputs into the intelligence to enable enterprises to be customer-centric and data-driven. So definitely, uh, you know, it's a great space to be in, especially surrounding a lot of ambiguity when it comes to forecasting sales predictions and so forth and everything in between in the B2B sales space.
0: Fantastic. So it's kind of like a... An analytics company, but uh, or an con- analytics slash consulting company, but oriented into the space of AI and leveraging the the power of AI, as I as I gather, is that right?
1: Definitely. And more so in, in the specs of, you know, there's two aspects of our business, of course, our application and building out our network. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times, you know, especially trying to make that connection between understanding the behavior or patterns of certain type of relationships when it comes to, you know, of course, business, business sales, you, know, you always want to know, you know, what your data and that what you're capturing to as well can really give you a more accurate, ability to connect with the right people in that space so it does you know of course the application as an individual we have access to your data we monitor it and everything like that and so forth but also you know calculating our measurements through not just our predictive modeling of course coming from the data science team but you know when it comes to more on the ai side of things you know it's the the neural network you know that we have and also just building on the the deep learning side of things to really go deeper into finding solutions such as
0: that Mm, fantastic, and so you're in charge of getting people on board, of getting those AI professionals on board, and uh, recruiting them so that they can help with this mission. Uh, how's how's that uh, experience for you?
1: Uh, fun, but challenging.
0: Yeah, <laughs> is it hard to find, or is it hard to uh, find the right people?
1: I think it's a little bit of both because. You know, I always I've been in this space for quite a while now, over six years. Mm. And what I found is I think the disconnection when recruiting for certain types of talent, especially in this field, it's also the market's responsibility to understand when new technologies emerge Yes, there's gonna be opportunities from company to company related to whatever project they're working on that they the team has the ability to ramp up on those skills. Mm -hmm. Right. So at the same time, sometimes maybe that isn't exactly the time or place that the company can do that or has, you know, that particular talent in that space has that bandwidth. So it's important, you know, these programs such as yours and so forth that really can give the opportunity for those who are looking to I guess, refine their skill sets or so forth, or be part of that marketable space, that becomes a lot more easier or achievable. But as far as like recruitment, yes. And again, the difficulty lies in, it's part of candidates not being able to clearly make that distinction of what they know versus what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very interesting through, you know, speaking with a lot of candidates and so forth. You know, they possess a great amount of knowledge in a, you know, a certain field or a certain tool and so forth. And they go and, and explain all these things that they know, but they're not really explaining how they're applying it. And a lot of the times hiring managers, and I've discussed this with many hiring managers and working with many different companies in the past, that that is something that, you know, is a disconnect between that hiring process.
0: Mm, So is that because they don't do enough research into what they need to be, they're going to be doing or what's the reason for that, do you think?
1: That's a great question. It's both. So it is with researching the company's background, but also saying, okay, so given a situation, if there's a question that's being posed by someone from the team during an interview process, when they ask what is your day-to-day environment look like and what tools are you using and what are you solving for, candidates always rise to to that answer by explaining, okay, this is kind of my day-to-day activities, but they're not really explaining why or how they're solving for what they're solving for. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you're looking for new opportunities, um, whether you're you know in the beginning stages of your data science career or you know, in mid stages or whatever stages you're in, it's really important to clearly express that yes, for example, reason why I chose decision trees is because of x, y, z, and here's why. And this is what was relevant to the work that I was doing, because it really does help hiring managers understand where your perspective is coming from, why you're thinking the way you're thinking, and how you're applying that and how you're solving.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Thanks for the for that uh, insight. And we'll definitely get back to the interviews. Uh, in a moment, but let's go back a bit and talk about your background so you you haven't always been at a collective eye you 've gone through a very interesting uh, career path Tell us about your own journey like where did you start did, you said you've been in this space for six years but uh, before prior to that were you in data science already or were you doing something else
1: actually i wasn't so my background comes from media and advertising with a minor in sociology mm. so completely wildly different yeah. from what Doing now. I would say, you know, I've always been data driven. It's always been something that has been a deep passion of mine for since I was very young. And I was definitely one of those, those obnoxious kids that always asked the whys mm-hmm. on everything that was, you know, said by a teacher or so forth. So yeah. in regards to why I got into this space, you know, I've always, again, had a passion for like a deep analysis in any direction, meaning any matter of topic, right? And it's really important for me to really understand how data science and analytics can really drive our ability to really explore questions and solve problems by learning from the results that were derived using data science principles and mythologies, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. exacting results and calculated measurements from unstructured data really does allow us to achieve higher accuracy, you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. and it helps us, you know, at the end, make better decisions and observations as well. So I like that clarity that it can provide. You know, granted, nothing is going to be an absolute Mm because there's always something to learn from how we decide to solve a certain problem. But that is the reason why I got into this space. And it's just been a really fascinating field and also it's going to really make a great impact in the not just like the years to come but decades to come
0: yeah yeah definitely agree and uh, so how did you first get into the data science space
1: Sure. So I actually worked prior to Collective Eye. I worked at General Assembly, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as GA. And there I recruited for engineers on the production side and also recruited globally for all of the technical instructors. Mm -hmm. And I built out two programs. I built out the Android, uh, the ADI, otherwise known as the ADI team over at GA, and also the data science team Mm -hmm. at GA as well. And through that I was really fortunate enough to not only be surrounded by those who empower you to do what you've always really wanted to do, you know, but maybe didn't have the, not I wouldn't say confidence, but maybe it wasn't something that was in your radar or you thought you had the ability to do it. But I really did get to explore that opportunity when I was working at GA. And as a result, having the encouragement from all the different types of teams and all the different types of disciplines that were at GA, I decided that I really did the wheelhouse that I was interested in most was data science. And it just felt it was the best decision for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, and then you decided just to stay in the space and uh, develop uh, this career further where you're helping build out teams. And did you, you, do you yourself look into data science? Like, uh, I, I think you told me that you did a course on data science or something like that.
1: I did. So I ended up taking the evening course at GA in data science. And I will say this, since taking that course, and I took it earlier this year, it's been a complete transformative year for me in terms of my career.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it, it was just, it's a wild journey. So not only did it accelerate my growth in the data science world, but I, you know, as far as in terms of recruitment and finding talent and connecting with people, I felt even more knowledgeable and relatable in the space. Mm. So it's definitely helped me with not just that, but it's just a different world. It, it really completely transformed me because I realized now, you know, and in the past, I've, you know, recruited four data scientists before. So it wasn't no, you know, it wasn't any new news in the recruitment aspect of things. But now I realize connecting with candidates um, in the current time being, it really not only helps to understand what the candidate is saying, but it does create a sense of, I don't know, it's a deeper understanding. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that connection is, is fantastic. You know, because I do, you know, as far as, you know, the conversation and flowing and also not only on the candidate side, but being able to really connect with my data science team at Collective Eye as well, too.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no, to- totally. I can totally understand that. And, yeah, that's a really cool step uh, that you took in taking that course. Do you think you'll do more courses in data science?
1: Thank you. The short answer is yes. <laughs> uh, I hope I can find the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely busy wearing the the director hat, but um, absolutely. And I think my focus would definitely be going more towards on, you know, refining my skills like in NLP or, you know, especially what the team is doing in AI and deep learning.
0: Okay, gotcha. Uh, Thanks a lot for that overview. That's a very interesting background. But now let's get back to the data science side of things. There's so much that I want to ask you. I always love when recruiters come on the show. I really don't know where to start myself, but let's start with maybe some general tips and advice that you can give to our listeners because there are lots of listeners who are either actively looking for new opportunities in the space of data science or they're just open to them. So to those people, what could you say?
1: Absolutely. Great question. So one thing that I would definitely... Would like everyone who is listening to the podcast to take away from is that how valuable networking really is. And networking means that it can stem from anywhere. Now, I recognize and understand a lot of people have said, well, you know, I go to LinkedIn or I have a Twitter and so forth, but it's also the activity and just being very engaged in the sense of whether, even if it's passive or actively looking for opportunities, it's always good to connect with your community. So whether that be, you know, going to that meetup or making that connection or going to all these events that may not be even relatable to particularly the job that you're looking for, but it, it, if it is in the wheelhouse of data science, you never know who you meet. And, for me, I mean, I can say on the flip side, that's how I met amazing candidates. You know, it's through searching through not just, you know, looking at your LinkedIn and being a super stalker on on all these, you know, platforms that recruiters are empowered with to go look for candidates. But it's just really, you know, making that connection with someone, you know, admiring them for what they put on Twitter or just really, really thrusting yourself in this community and and saying, hey, you know, at any given time, I can connect with anyone. Another source that I found really interesting is Kaggle is definitely obviously a great place, you know, where Mm -hmm. you can work on your own skills and so forth. But it is also a community that you can connect with others as well. Or maybe there's someone that you spoke to at Stack Overflow because you came into a certain challenge that you couldn't overcome regarding you know something in code. So there's many different ways to network, but at any given time, never minimize yourself by saying, okay, well, this is where it's going to come from, and that's it, mm-hmm. right? It's just always being able to network at any given time.
0: Gotcha. And, uh, that brings up an interesting question. So let's say I'm, I'm on Stack Overflow. I chatted to someone because I had a question and they helped me out and I asked them another question and they helped me out and then I said thank you and so on and you know that's that's a initial start to networking it's like like the spark between two people who meet online but where do you take it from there so like as a as a person who ultimately wants to network what do I do next uh, how do I chat to that person more or like do I invite them for a coffee or do I catch up with them on Skype like what what's the next step from there so that that's initial spark, that initial connection doesn't just stay an initial connection and then die off from there.
1: Yes. So my immediate thing would be definitely to reach out and ask for, you know, hey, you know, I'd like to ask if you have the space or the bandwidth, you know, to ask deeper questions, you know, very interested in regards to learning more about you and so forth. Definitely ask for the email. Mm -hmm. Also see, ask if they have like a a LinkedIn or a Twitter that they can follow, Right. right? These are things that really, you know keep the the opportunity open to you as well especially in timing right so if you're not again if you're a passive candidate and you're like hey you know eventually i'd like to work at xyz company this is a really great way to open up that door and open up that opportunity mm-hmm. and again it's not just about networking but if this person is teaching you something that is valuable to you at the end it the connection serves its purpose mm-hmm. regardless right mm-hmm. so most importantly, rather than how you're connecting to someone and asking for these things, a diminish the thought of being too timid. You know, mm-hmm. you got you got one life, you got one shot. You know, go for it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Be direct. Be like, hey, you know, X Y Z. Really love what you do. Want to learn more. You know, is there an email that I can, you know, speak further upon or such and so forth? LinkedIn. As for the Twitter, but always also keep remembering. Point B is that to make sure you do it within a twenty-four hour time frame. Mm-hmm. I know yep. a lot of the time some people sit with the email and go, hummin, and, hummina, and, hum and I you know, got the email. Yes, you know, and I wanna, you know, when do I reach out? Okay, I'll give them just a, you know, a breather because I don't wanna be in their space. But truth of the matter is you know the connection. You know you you always want to reach someone at their peak yeah. of that conversation. So make sure that the turnaround time is very tight and it's within 24 hours.
0: Mm, that's a very good tip. I totally, totally I can agree with that. Yeah, okay, like they're never gonna like you more. And uh, like the more time passes, the less they like you. In the sense that less they remember you, the less they remember the interaction with you. And so yeah, you gotta get on that train early. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Even in the perspective of you know maybe it, the the initial interest decreases but i almost want to say the initial interest decreases because of the fact that, you know, if you don't know that person well and you just connected with somebody, everybody can say that they always have, at every given time point, they have something to do, right? Your Your brain is like in 50 million different places. So then all of a sudden, three hours later, you know, sometimes I can't even remember what I ate for lunch. (laughs) So, you know, to make that connection immediately is very important.
0: That's very valuable. Totally, totally. And I want to like, to to your point about uh, like solidifying the connection in at the start, I want to, like, give an example that I had in my own experience. And so when I uh, once read an article online, like, I don't know, three, eight years ago, I think I was still at Deloitte maybe, even four years ago, I really liked it. It's, It's the Data Scientist Type E article by Ben Taylor. It's very popular among data scientists, like a lot of listeners would have read it because I've already spoke about it. And I really liked it so much that I actually... Uh, Wrote Ben Taylor like a a note saying that hey, you know, I really liked your article good very very um, Excited. Thanks a lot for sharing. This is this is really cool and then he replied and you know, and then maybe I I messaged him again and and that's it and kind of left it there and but that was like the initial connection and initial also action that I made him aware of me and I told him that hey, this is this is this and then later on uh, like a few maybe like a year later, he actually messaged me because he was coming to Australia to do a talk in Sydney. And he said, like, you know, if you want to meet up, let's meet up. Or, you know, can you also give me some tips on well, uh, the Australian audience? I was like, wow, this is unreal. He's messaging me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and unfortunately, I couldn't go to Sydney because I was in Brisbane. But I gave like a huge list of things to look out for, like uh, like the tall puppy syndrome in Australia and, and other things. And he was very happy with that, because that helped him with his presentation, like restructure it, tailor it to the Australian audience, and then again, many years passed, like one or two years passed, and then once I had this podcast, I reached out to him again, and I said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast, and he agreed, and this is a person that like three or four years ago, I was really looking up to, and he was like writing articles, and it was very inspiring to see that he, you know, took that up, and that he was happy to connect, and uh, get in touch. None of that would have happened unless I had messaged him the first time after. right after I read his article when I was like so inspired by it. So yeah, that's one example of that.
1: Absolutely, and you know, hearing your story, you know, that's fantastic to share. To say follow follow your passions first. You know, what are you what are you really obsessed with? You know, in this field, and that's what always leads to a stronger connection. Right? It's not just about you know trying to get your foot in the door of of an opportunity but it's what are you really passionate in you know what is something that you know have you been trying to solve a certain problem in this space where you're identifying with somebody else so i mm-hmm. think that's fantastic
0: yeah yeah totally agree and now let's let's look at um, your side of the the equation let's say actually can you walk us through the the process when you're looking for somebody for a candidate so you need to fill a position, like somebody in um, deep learning or a data scientist or a visualization expert. Like you have the job description, the criteria. So how do you go about this headhunting process, as it's called? What are your first steps? Where do you look? Do you look on LinkedIn? Do you look on Twitter? Then do you look on blogs? Like how do you go about finding a person? Which media do you use?
1: Wow, this is the secret ingredient that I'm going to...
0: <laughs> well, whatever you can share. Whatever you can share with us.
1: No, absolutely. So happy to share. Uh, I look everywhere. And again, just like looking for, you know, for a candidate to look for job opportunities, I do the same in finding, you know, various types of talent. And when I mean by various types of talent, I mean by, you know, we speak about diversification, but I'm also speaking of diversification of whether your background comes from, you know, more of a scientific background or a CS degree or, you know, math, it could come from anywhere. So where I like to look, yes, LinkedIn is a great source Mm -hmm. because of the amount of people that it has on that platform. However, I always do like to cross-reference all of the candidates or try to see where there's other opportunities look for. So yes, I am that person that stalks you on Kaggle. I'm always curious about that. Twitter actually has been a great form of connecting with candidates as well, Mm -hmm. because I'm more of a, hey, you know, I really want to learn more about this person. And then, you know, if I like what I see, then I'd really like to reach out to that person and go, hey, you know, do you want to learn more about us? So it's really about, you know, following those who are really, really, truly passionate about, you know, being in this space, not for the reasons of, again, by the ends of means or so forth, but just really, really love what they do. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't only just live in LinkedIn. It does live on Twitter. It lives on Kaggle. It lives on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. It lives in Quora even, you know, or Mm -hmm. even sometimes, you know, Facebook for work. Mm -hmm. Um, And even community groups as well. Uh, There are a lot of groups that I am a part of. And through there, just having that organic connection and having that conversation, again, coming, you know, bringing it back to networking. It's so important because I feel that networking provides the more organic approach of connecting and learning about each other. So both people are comfortable. And then really speaking about the opportunity.
0: Yep, yep, gotcha. So you you look for a person on you know, you find them on some media, like you find an interesting candidate, and then you actually cross reference. Like I find that, found that point interesting. You cross-reference or cross check or you know, like explore this person more on other platforms. So they might like you know, they might write a lot about like I I write I might have written a lot about myself on LinkedIn, but then Where's the substantiation of that, right? You're going to go and yes. look on my blog, you're going to go look on Udemy, you're going to go look on other places to make sure, or not just make sure, to learn more about what is it I'm doing, that not that I'm not just like saying things that I'm doing them and, you know, prettying up the picture for recruiters, but you're actually looking at the, the insights of the, the actual value that I'm bringing to the world and what exactly I, it is that I'm doing. And it is also a good way to check that the person is indeed passionate. If they're passionate about data science, then they're going to have a blog or they're going to write stuff on Twitter or they're going to have, a, I don't know, like a Tableau public profile or something like that. So. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point, the whole cross-referencing. And so wh- what is your recommendation then to candidates uh, in this sense? Like just, just have as many different profiles as possible or have like several and go as deep as possible in each one?
1: I would say that, you know, when making different, I would definitely say, you know, make sure that your presence is more than just one place. Yeah. So, you know, don't just have a LinkedIn and be like, okay, everybody knows about me. No, you know, show the, versatile nature that you have in the field of data science, right? So let's say someone, you know, is a fanatic in really refining their skills in, you know, in Python. And so their Twitter feed is just all about, hey, I just want to make sure that I'm sharing with the community and, you know, what I like and what I'm learning, you know, these are kind of the the feeds that I, you know, showcase, right? And then on LinkedIn, it could be, you know, a more in-depth experience or a Uh, in-depth profile but a general snapshot of all the things that you've done in your activities you know or let's say that you've done a Kaggle competition and Mm -hmm. you know you're in Kaggle and so forth those kind of things you know when they're all combined together it really brings a whole picture of who you are
0: yeah yeah totally agree okay cool thank you for that any other tips for people uh, in the space of uh, data science that uh, are looking for opportunities
1: Absolutely, you know, so...
0: I love it, I love it, you're just full of information. I was telling, by the way, guys, I was telling Yuri at the start of the podcast that it's like 8, what time is it in New York right now?
1: It is 6.40 right now. 6.40
0: p.m., but like in Australia, it's like 8 a.m., and I just woke up like an hour ago, so I'm still waking up, but it's so cool to feel your energy, you have so much to share, you're like, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, let's go for it, go for it.
1: I think well, you know, when I began my journey and especially just getting into recruitment in general, yeah. these are the same issues that I ran into. I'm like, "Well, how am I supposed to find the opportunity or oh my god, you know, do I reach out to that hiring manager or when is the per- you know, when is the right time or am I bothering them?" Or all mm-hmm. these questions in mind, right? Mm-hmm. So, I completely understand when someone, especially in the start of their journey in a new field or new space, There's going to be all these different million dollar questions anybody wants to ask for someone who is on the HR team, right? Like, do you actually read my resume when I, you know, upload it onto your company website, you know, things like that. So I would definitely say that make sure when you are connecting with for a certain opportunity and, you know, applying and so forth. I'll use LinkedIn as an example. There have been many times where candidates, whether, again, they're junior candidates or even mid-level and senior candidates, they will reach out and be excited and express that they you know, are looking for an opportunity within the company that I'm working at, right? Mm-hmm. But 99% of the time, candidates fail to say, they, they forget to express why and the reasons why they want to work. For the company that i'm working at Mm -hmm. and also more importantly the link of the job description that they applied for oh yeah so you know and i get it guys you know anybody who's listening who's a candidate who's gone through this you know it's fantastic it's okay you should definitely reach out right better safe than sorry so just go for it but first of all make sure that your message is curt Mm -hmm. you know make sure that it's to the point Make sure that you're speaking about the company first, what attracts you to that company, and then how your skill sets can be applicable to that role. And then also, please kindly leave the job description. Because guess what, guys, when I'm looking over thousands and thousands of resumes and someone says, hey, I'm so you know excited to apply for this company, please let me know if there's room for me here. you know," And I have the opportunity to connect with you on an opportunity. I'm like, which opportunity, because there's lots of them. And at any given time, I just don't have the bandwidth or time to match you to an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it just makes it, you know, the easier you make it for, for anyone on the internal team, the HR team and so forth, the faster that can navigate that process for you. Mm -hmm. It really isn't, you know, and I hope that I can speak to all of us in the HR world. It's not that we don't want to help anyone or that we don't appreciate someone reaching out like that or what we think about that. It's just the amount, the bandwidth that's given to us on a you know daily basis to balance out so many different hats that we wear. That makes it very direct and easy for us to either, A, you know push you through the process a lot faster or even delegate that to the recruiter who is working on that opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. That's that's very interesting. But do you think that some of that is because uh, sometimes people reach out to like ten different recruiters at the same time, and they don't even know what job descriptions they're applying for. They just know that there's this company, it's this an interesting company, that they do what I like. I'm going to contact this recruit. I'm going to contact this, and they maybe even copy paste the same message across across the board just because they're they're doing it very quickly. They're like looking for, and they know that the probability of them getting A position is very low it's like maybe 1% because because there's so much um, so many other candidates because recruiters don't have time lots of factors will go into that and they know the probability is low so that they they try to play the game of numbers like not saying everybody does this but possibly they are people who do this and they just like send out as many connections as they can and whoever replies to them then they will look in further and understand what job job description fits them so what would you say um, to people who are applying that type of strategy
1: Wow, that's a really great question. So, yes, agreed that by numbers. So it's really, you know, it's something that, you know, the individual can has to think about. So when you play it by numbers, is it because, you know, what are your circumstances that you are just looking for any opportunity and seeing what connects? Right. Is mm-hmm. it the start of, you know, beginning your journey in data science? So that's understandable. Um, but at the same time you have to start thinking about, okay, the quality of connections is going to be important. It's going to make a larger impact in future terms, mm-hmm. not just future terms, meaning the the growth of, you know, where you want to go and that opportunity, right? So is it worth 20 different opportunities that you're just standardizing and then just connecting with one or two in something that you're like, eh, okay, I'm just going to connect to this or really going for the place that you really want to work at. Mm-hmm. So I would probably suggest, yes, I understand, you know, when it comes to also time sensitivity or in any given time stance where someone's looking for a new opportunity right away to reach that type of volume, you know, a standardized approach might look like it's ideal, but I would highly say that if it is a company, I guess I could say is if it's a company that you are really, 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 you know, wanting to work at, you know, that tailored message is going to go a long way, including that job description.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And uh, I got a story here. My friend, whose wedding I was at just like a week ago, uh, like you, you, people on the podcast might know Vitali Dolgov, his uh, my mentor. He was on on the uh, podcast as well in the special yes. episode. And yeah, so he was uh, his uh, his wife now. She really likes she, she really likes this one hotel, and she's in the industry for. Oh, what's it called like when you're working at hotels uh, and so basically she really wanted to work for this one hotel but she couldn't like she was very like didn't know how to approach it in the sense that okay like the I'm gonna apply but what do I do and he said well look just write a very very tailored letter why you really really want to work there and mm-hmm. uh, and then she wrote that and then when uh, she went to the interview her friend actually told her her friend went to the interview like a day before her and then they were, ran out like the HR manager ran out saying hey are you Amy are you Amy she's like no I like oh that's okay and then the next day she comes over and she's actually Amy and so she's like are you Amy like yes she, yes I'm Amy and they're like you have the job you have the job just tell us we're just going to have this chat just so that we know that you're happy with the Position and everything, we totally loved your letter. this is the the most incredible letter we ever got. You definitely have the job you 're starting like you know next week and she was like, Wow, this is so cool that 's so incredible that's that's a, how far a a letter can go that's um, absolutely okay so that's that's a good tip and I had another question for you let 's talk about the the chicken and the egg problem so in data <laughs> science, yeah, there is this chicken egg problem, everybody kind of is probably a bit aware of it, that in data science, it's like an exploding field and more and more companies are getting on data scientists on board, more and more people want to um, lo- like, uh, have data-driven decisions, more companies want to be mm-hmm. powered by data. Uh, and at the same time, so, and people are also getting into the space because they, they see the value they can bring as data scientists. But all these job descriptions, a lot of the time they say, we require four years of experience. So we require six years of experience. And that's great, but you cannot get the years of experience unless, you know, you get a job. So it's kind of like that's the whole the chicken and the egg or the vicious cycle problem. That uh, How do you get the experience if you can't get a job because this field is so new? So what would you say in that case? Like if a person is really passionate... Wants to apply for a position, but it clearly states on the job description that you need six years of experience in data science to apply for this position.
1: That is the million dollar question,
0: isn't yeah, it? <laughs> totally.
1: Um, I would so insider secret, a lot of the times when, you know, recruiters, you know, people in HR, they have to write those requirements. It's almost an ideal. It's saying, hey, you know, if this person exists, lovely unicorn or a purple squirrel out there, please apply. You know, so obviously, you know, we're going to keep the, you know, the light on for that person um, or that individual who possesses the the rainbow of skill sets. Right. And then some. However, I would suggest this if you feel that, like, for example, that you've used, you know, if you have six plus years of experience is what we're looking for, you know, you have to know XYZ stack and so forth. I would say that you might not be, maybe you're within like a couple years short, maybe you're four plus years, I would still encourage that candidate to apply. But it's also applicable to what tool stacks you have. So if you're completely... If, if I wouldn't, I want to say that if your skill set only match 10 to 15 to 20% of that uh, job requirement, more than likely it's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. But I would say if you feel like you're anywhere between, you know, uh, 65 to 80%, go for it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, again, when writing out those jobs description, understand that it's very interesting, right? When, when you, are trying to find uh, an addition under the team. It really depends on that technical environment. Maybe it's a brand new role, or maybe it's even a role that needs to be filled because someone else moved out from that opportunity. Whatever those reasons may be, a lot of the times these jobs descriptions are written out um, based off of their perspective of what they're working on currently. So you can imagine that in every technical environment, they're doing X, Y, Z, and, you know, doing all these things. So in them, they've been in that bubble, they've been in that space. So that's why these requirements look like a, you know, laundry list of things. But at the end of the day, when the recruitment, or I would say when the, the process of finding talent begins. And when the interview process really begins for a lot of these companies, they soon discover that, hey, you know, why don't we go ahead and, you know, I think we could be flexible with the criteria here, because now we're recognizing that this is more important, right? So that's why I always say, you know, just because you don't match the job description perfectly, don't be discouraged to apply. I still would, you know, be, you know, again, be thoughtful of how you're applying. Like I said, if you are, Let's say that you're going for a data science role, right? Clearly you need, you know, Python and you need to understand like what, you know, different models there are and things like that and having, you know, that kind of experience versus someone who's a data analyst and who says, yes, you know, I know SQL. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly that's not going to make that connection. Mm-hmm. But again, just really take a look at the job description and feel it out of what the job description really entails of what the work is going to be, you know, if there is, you know, a a good description of it, and then go from there and apply, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's about the substance of the role, not always necessarily saying that you have to have all of the skill sets for that role.
0: Yeah, gotcha. And uh, do you ever hire people for like for their potential to grow? So you, you hire a person, you know that they don't have the right skills, but you see how passionate they are, how excited they are by this field and you're like, We'll hire them and we will invest into them and they will grow and they will become the perfect, as you say, unicorn once uh, they're on board and they've been with us for like a year or, or six months or so. Is that, is that something that um, you've done before? Is that something that's common in the industry?
1: I've done in the past and currently do so now. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. realistically, especially how fast, as fast as technology moves, you know, especially when we're speaking, when, you know, when you want to do a deeper dive into talking about the technologies that are surrounding data science right now, I feel like the field of data science still isn't that old, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. it's being really, truly recognized, what, it's seven, eight years, maybe yeah. nine years tops. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about going into deep learning, it's what, a couple years old. So again, yes you know, that ability to, to solve problems is going to be more relevant or just as relevant than saying that I have all these skill sets. I've seen and passed on perfect resumes because of the fact that it didn't feel like this, that person wanted to grow with the opportunity or really had the connection of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, they, it felt like they were, they're like, okay, you know, I, I have this skill set and I know it's a good skill set and, that's that, right? Mm-hmm. I can provide these services and that's where it goes. So it really depends on the opportunity as well. You know, uh, every company has different technical environments. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, it's about, hey, you know, you're talented and you seem to think about things, you know, in many different ways and how you're solving problems, but also not afraid to make mistakes in order to achieve um, the right results. Mm-hmm. That's actually very important in the field of data science that I find. Gotcha. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally totally agree. And I like that comment about the connection to the opportunity is more important than a perfect resume. That is totally true. Like as as a business owner at like at Super Data Science, we that's exactly what we look for. It's like we have people because we're growing our team, and we have people applying for um, different roles, like whether it's developers, designers, and so on. That, and then there's always like an interview process, and I, I have the final interview. But I always look at not just the skills, but like how excited is the person by this role, by the company, by the company's mission? Because ultimately businesses want people on board, not just who can do the job, but people who will push the envelope, who are going to push this mission forward, who are going to help the company deliver on its promise to its clients, to its customers, to its stakeholders. And ultimately most companies are here to make the world a better place. And that's the people the people need to be aligned with that, with the mission of the company, the way the approach that it's taking. If if you're just like this really cool data scientist with all the skills on your resume, but you're completely disinterested in the company's mission, well guess what? You're not gonna stick around for long. You're gonna be there for a year or two, you're gonna do a half hour job, or maybe you'll do a yep. great job. But you're not going to go above and beyond to, you know, add to that I don't know, life, love, uh, energy into the company, into the mission itself. And that's what everybody's looking for.
1: Absolutely, because they feel that compassion is what ultimately measures or maps out your success. That's how you ultimately become successful because of that innate drive that you have and because you, you know, you're compassionate about that particular project or the field of search that you're in. Absolutely. I agree.
0: Yeah. And and it's good for the candidate as well. It's good for the person, right? You're going to be much more happier if you connect, if you have that compassion, if, it's a, if you're growing with the company, if you're not just doing you know a nine-to-five job for providing a service, but you're actually g- growing personally and professionally. Like I always say, if, if you're not growing at a company, if you, in your current role or in a role that you're applying for, you're not growing or you feel you're not going to be growing, you should either quit your job or you shouldn't apply for that job because when you're not growing you're dying we're we're here to grow on this planet that's a that's the only thing that we can continuously do and if you're not doing that it's, it's a like personally it's my opinion but i think it's a waste of time
1: i absolutely agree and i always say that those who are say you know those who are on the side of like i'm perfect and i reach for perfection and so forth and you know i have very minimal mistakes well guess what if you say that you make minimal mistakes, then you clearly I feel don't really understand the true measure of success. Mm-hmm. You have to fail to feel success.
0: exactly, exactly. and I had I had another question. I'm really loving this podcast. this is like super energized. <laughs> me too. Yeah, and so I had another question for you do you look at past uh, backgrounds of people? so there are people like listening to this podcast who, are coming in uh, to data science from a completely different field. Like, like yourself, you came from media and sociology, as, as you say, um, or somebody might be coming from an arts background, somebody might be coming from an, a literature background, from a commerce background, from different backgrounds, and maybe they have a couple of years experience in data science now, but do you ask people about what they did in their past lives and how they're leveraging those skills, and it, does it matter to you as a, a HR person or as a recruiter What's other experiences and skills they have apart from the analytics side of things?
1: Absolutely. So I will say this. I think that, you know, what you're passionate in is going to, again, ultimately drive your success, Right. Yes, in this industry, especially in the field of data science, you know, it does come from more of an academic background. So someone who is, you know, deep in the field of research and has all these PhDs, that's fantastic and great. But that does not define a successful candidate. And that does not define um, someone being able to succeed in this industry. I have seen so many different types of profile, and I'm proud to say, even from, you know, even being out of GA and, you know, also connecting with other different types of boot camp grads or someone who came from a different discipline, being able to really possess the ability to be successful in the field of data science. And again, that is what's great about that is that it's collectively creating a different type of perspective. And it it compounds different types of discipline into one, if that makes any sense. So Mm -hmm. for example, you know, if someone has an economical background, you know, they're able to come from that perspective. And then of course, use data science or be in that field and have that type of perspective that can really apply and help in relation to that field, or someone in a media background, or someone in a you know, a scientific background or so forth, right? Retail background. So, wherever your background is, you know, I would say what are the skill sets, whether it be life lessons that you've learned or even, you know, just on the more hard skills? How is that rolling up and how are you utilizing that and threading that in to? the skills that either you are collecting or have collected in the field of data science? How are you making that work for you together? So I think that's really important to recognize that. But again, you know, to answer that question in short mm-hmm. is definitely, you know, I, I don't think that it, someone being, or what defines success in data science only comes from a computer science background or, you know, a stats background. It's not only, there it's not just you know it shouldn't be limited to that because I've certainly seen so many types of diverse talent and when I talk about diverse talent I mean different backgrounds you know what schooling you went to and so all sorts that have you know really been able to become successful in this industry
0: yeah totally could not agree more everybody should leverage their backgrounds and they should also express explicitly how they're leveraging their backgrounds and how that is making them unique and successful and what additional value that helps them bring all right so that was a very cool insightful talk about recruiting and things like that i got a couple of rapid fire questions for you are you ready for this Uh oh yes <laughs> <laughs> okay what's the biggest challenge you've ever had in your career
1: biggest challenge i've had
0: yeah, probably more relating to like the data science side of things, like recruiting data scientists. And like in the past seven years, what's the biggest challenge that you've had or you face on a regular basis?
1: You know, this is going to be a fun answer. Mm-hmm. And um, my goodness, I know my company is going to end up listening to this. <laughs> so I'm going to chuckle out of this. So, in the span of me working in recruitment, I think the biggest challenge is that sometimes engineering teams or who they think that they're looking for doesn't always map out to what they thought it was Mm -hmm. to be a little bit more descriptive so for example let's say that you know again it comes back to that job description it comes back to oh should I or should I not apply you think that when you're looking for a particular talent to join the team you think that it's very black and white And it's like, yes, this is exactly what we're looking for. And this is who's going to, you know, complete this mission and, you know, be all wonderful. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, what you thought that you were, you know, or what engineering teams thought that they were looking for actually can change. It can adapt. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, as they discover going through all these different profiles or especially the requirements and the role and the activity on that team. Um, that could change over time. And so I think the challenges of that is sometimes when we talk about the time sensitivity of things, right. Of trying to find that person immediately, you know, to hire and to be that perfect fit and so forth that poses its own self time versus the ideal candidate, Mm -hmm. you know, and is that realistic and how does that really connect? Right. So again, about sometimes, candidates might think, oh, wow, you know, I look at his job description, and this person is like a, a superhuman. But on the other spectrum of things, you know, do understand that sometimes engineering teams, you know, in the moment of what they're working on things like that, especially in a production environment, it can it, its it's high volume, it's high, you know, stress, all these things are factored into it. So when they're looking for this candidate, it might look like, you know, this candidate needs to be perfect, but that's clearly not the case. But then of course revisiting, you know, what that candidate profile really should look like, time get lost when we're not, you know, realistic with the expectations of who's out there, you know, who could do the job and so forth and what we're really looking for. And yeah. what really is the must haves versus the nice to haves.
0: Yeah, gotcha. And but that's that's actually as a good thing that uh, the company that you you're with, they're flexible, that collective eye, they're flexible about the you know, they, they put out one job description and then they look to the profiles, they, they adapt, they, and then they, you ultimately find even better candidates that way if you're uh, willing to adjust your job description along the way or be open to you know, new ideas about who might be best suited to be on your team.
1: Absolutely. And we certainly have. And, you know, especially being in an accruement space and any of those who might be in the HR space listening to this podcast, you know, I get it. It is frustrating because it's like, OK, we're doing the dance and we're going back and forth and so forth. And at the end, they're like, you know what? Why do we try it this way? It's like, hey, you know, we could have done that a month ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. But again, it, you know, you have to build that kind of Your engineering team or whatever team you're recruiting for, you know, remember at the end of the day that it's very important to work together and then just continually, you know, backed by data too, right? Say this activity this week based on this criteria yielded this results. But guess what? When we decided to go from a different angle and, you know, maybe switch up the search strings, you know, we came up with this kind of results, Mm -hmm. you know, and that result was better than last week's. Yep. You know, so presenting data in that sense is very important too because it clearly really shows, the teams that
0: as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, next question. What is a recent win that you can share with us in something you've had in your role, something that you're proud of?
1: Recent win. I would say there's actually a few of them. I recently joined Collective Eye. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think one of the, I don't know, there's many different wins. I mean, one of them is definitely being able to um, onboard candidates quickly and have a positive uh, candidate experience for the new hires, right? To make sure that they're happy and they felt like they were onboarded properly. That is a huge win always for us, for Collective Eye, just Mm -hmm. because we always want to make sure that we're balancing out how someone feels comfortable and they're well-received, you know, when coming into a new space, especially where it's like, congratulations, you're with us now, and now you're going to learn X, Y, and Z, and all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) So getting them to feel that, when they first felt like they were you know, like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to take this risk, you know, enjoying this very cutting edge place or a startup and having those butterfly feelings, it actually mapped out to they felt like they made a good decision. So that's again, that's probably one of the biggest wins.. but personally, for me, I think huge wins is that again, talking about job descriptions and working with engineering and engineering teams and so forth, I think the biggest win is for me recently is that, I'm really fortunate to be able to connect the way I do even more so than ever with my data science team. Mm -hmm. I know it's been, you know, such a, it's always going to be an interesting challenge to find that right fit. Mm -hmm. But when you realize, you know, without even thinking about it and you're just doing your daily recruitment activities and there's this, this trust um, between myself and the team and that rapport and relatability is there, that's priceless because that really makes me feel good that I can do my job effectively for them and that they give me that type of trust that I really am considering all their points that they have spoken to me about and really implementing that when I'm looking for that candidate.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely, definitely a big win. Okay, next question. What is your one most favorite thing about the work that you do, about recruiting in the space of data science?
1: Oh, wow. So working in... Working in AI yeah. is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fun in the sense of, I mean, it is challenging, but it's fun because it really stretches the scope of your imagination of where AI and where it's heading can really go. Mm-hmm. So I think to me, that is something that that I thoroughly enjoy. And the reasons why I particularly joined this company is because While I am not fully practicing data science now coming out of the the program that I took, I still am surrounded by it. And I still am, you know, at my pace, have the the ongoing nature where I can reach out to my data science team and be like, hey, I had this thought. I had this question. And they're always continually helping me grow and learn. Mm. So I'm very fortunate that I found such a, I would say, like a unique opportunity to do so and still practice the discipline I love, which is people ops.
0: Yeah, gotcha.
1: Oh
0: yeah, very, very rare to hear a recruiter talking about their own opportunities. This is this is unique. I'm very (laughs) excited about this. Okay, um, and I have a philosophical question to to wrap this up. Where, from what you've seen, from all the work you've done, the work you do, and the candidates you've seen and the job descriptions, where do you think the field of data science is going? And what should our listeners Prepare for in order to be ready for the future.
1: Oh, this is a tough question. So I truly feel that the title of data analytics or data analyst is probably going to go away mm-hmm. in the near future. I think it will that will soon be replaced by a, a traditional data scientist, mm-hmm. and a lot mm-hmm. of data scientists are now moving more into the deep learning space mm-hmm. and towards AI and machine learning. So I think it's really important to always make sure that you have the ear on the ground and recognize what's going around as far as not just what's trending, but what makes sense as far as like where the momentum is going when we talk about just the world of data. What I find really interesting currently right now is that uh, data science is almost becoming interconnected with big data. Right. I mean, it all still is in the in the data family, mm-hmm. but there is a it's almost becoming I'm seeing more and more a cross pollination between the intersection of big data and data science. Right. So there have been very interesting candidates that I can give for an example that I've seen that, you know, maybe they were more of a Hadoop developer or working more on cloud and things like that of that nature and being more on the engineering side, now migrating over to the data science field. And then also same thing. I see a lot of data scientists now ramping up on, you know, technologies such as Spark and so forth, you know, being able to really be more connected on the big data side of things, the, that wheelhouse.
0: Yep. No, that's that's some good advice. So uh, AI and big data, things to look out for this, uh, that's, that's where... Everything's going and I also feel in terms of big data also feels that there's so much more data coming in now and the the velocity, the variety, uh, everything is increasing that volume that inevitably people are going to find themselves working with big data with, you know, three, five years from now, any data scientist is going to be expected to be able to work with big data. So that's definitely something to look into as well.
1: Absolutely. And also, in terms of, I feel like even the title data scientist, uh, there are many different subsectors under that title. Mm -hmm. So you can go into more on the machine learning side or, you know, I feel like even a subsector of machine learning going more into like when you talk about deep learning, that is, you know, natural language processing and so forth. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's going to span into much more of a specialty or specification, I feel, as well. Because, you know, I, I feel like data science is now becoming more of a, an expansion of uh, a discipline or an area of technology. And then there's going to be a lot of different subsectors where people can really practice a more, you know, honed in discipline.
0: Gotcha. No, fantastic. Thank you for that. And uh, we're going to wrap up on that. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights. How can our listeners contact you, get in touch, follow you? Uh, maybe somebody might be interested at positions at Collective Eye. What are the best places to reach you?
1: So you could directly apply at collectiveeye.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn, Yuri Sir. And then I always, you know, love finding, again, connecting with all different types of talent on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is Yuri Sir CI. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, could you spell that for us just so that people know? It's at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Twitter at U R I E S U H R C I, all one word. Mm -hmm. And then on LinkedIn, uh, U R I E, and then last name is S U H R.
0: Gotcha. And the company is Collective I, like I with a dot dot com. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I with a dot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And one final question What is a book that you can recommend to our listeners so that they can become better at what they do?
1: Yes, so I am reading Life 3.0, Being a Human in the Age of AI by Max Tegmark. Mm. Uh, Max Tegmark is actually a professor at MIT, and I will say that other than just enjoying the insights that this book has been providing, because it's, it's very incredibly insightful, it really does expand your thoughts imaginatively in what the world can become and how AI can or will proceed in our future. So I'm just blown away by the simple scenarios that are given in this book, but absolutely a fantastic read. And I really do encourage anybody that is really, really, you know, has a deeper interest in the AI space, please read this book.
0: Gotcha. That's a good one. So I haven't read myself, but uh, looking at it now on uh, Google looks interesting. Uh, It's guys, it's Life 3.0, Being Human in the Age of Artificial Intelligence by Max Tegmark. Check it out. And once again, uh, Yuri, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing the wealth of insights. I feel there's so much more we could have talked about, but we're just short on time now. And, you know, maybe we'll get you back on the show again someday in the future. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, thank you too. Nice connecting with you, curl
0: So there you have it. That was Yuri Sir from Collective Eye. Uh, she's the director of Talent Acquisition there. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. My favorite part was probably Yuri's comment about that connection to the opportunity is more important than a perfect resume it's something to remember uh, and I think it's a benefit it's like an advantage for both sides both for the company and for the person looking for a job because if you feel a connection to the opportunity if you feel that this is exactly what you want to do then you'll be successful uh, regardless of your resume regardless of your background, because you will find ways to be successful. Whereas if you just have the perfect resume for this opportunity, this might not really match what you do, and then uh, the company won't get what it's actually after, the ideal person to fulfill this role, and you won't be happy with uh, what you're doing. So it's always important to remember that you need to look for opportunities where you see potential for yourself to grow, to learn, to improve, and that you actually, as Yuri put it, can connect to the opportunity. And on that note, make sure to get in touch with Yuri. We're going to be sharing her LinkedIn at www.superdatascience.com 101. Get in touch. You never know where these things will go. It's always, always a huge advantage to have a recruiter or headhunter in your professional network on LinkedIn. And that's uh, that's how I got my role right after Deloitte through a recruiter. So it's always good to connect with people who are looking for talent whose job it is to look for talent uh, and uh, should any questions you might have to yuri i'm sure she'll be happy to help you out and uh, of course you can get all of the show notes and the transcript for the episode at the same url superdeascience.com 101 hope you enjoyed today's show and i can't wait to see you back here next time and until then happy analyzing